Welcome to the Sober Gay Sunday podcast, a podcast about being gay and sober and not just on Sundays. In this podcast, we'll explore the ins and outs of being queer and sober in a world where drinking and using are woven into the fabric of our culture. This season, we'll be hearing the stories of addiction and recovery from sober gays from all over the world. Every story of recovery is unique in its own way, and every story deserves to be heard. So let's go. In this episode, we welcome Corey. Corey is a former chef, author of a book series, creator of the photojournalism project Hearts of Strangers, and a current social work student, finishing his MSW degree. He also has 10 years of continuous sobriety and commitment to his recovery and healing journey. Please welcome Corey. Um, and so I found my way into human services work by by way of, you know, kind of what were some of my darkest moments in my life. So again, it kind of reinforced that there is there is value, you know, kind of in, in the struggles and that if you can recycle them and repurpose them in a way to help others to help yourself even um you know that it can it can be your goal it can be your your kind of key so i started working um with the homeless population which led to um you know a variety of people who had uh disadvantages that, that needed support and you know kind of led me on this pathway towards social work um but i think in addition to that exercise has always been something important to me i'm not a fitness model but exercise for for me is um it's kind of like a natural antidepressant i feel better when i do it i drink more water when i do it um it it you know increases my just uh natural you know kind of happy chemicals so exercise eating eating well sleeping well having some sort of routine spending time out in nature early on um spending time around children um animals uh, i recently got, got a dog in the last couple of years which has made a big difference and definitely um ensures that i get outside through throughout the day which has been really important especially during the pandemic working from home you know uh and being being isolated that's that's been a, a real gift um music I think, uh, you know, I, I spoke to photography being kind of a tool to navigate social situations, returning to bars outside of that stint that I, I bartended um, has been tricky because I think, you know, gay men tend to congregate around drinking festivities, bars, things of that nature. And for me, I always felt kind of like naked. I didn't really feel like I had a purpose to be there because one, I'm like socially awkward. I do well with like one-to-one -one or small groups. So to be like in a sea of people um, with very superficial conversations, obviously felt, you know, like I was uh, just drifting, drifting uh, at sea. So karaoke, I think um, has been a good, a good way for me to be in bar spaces, social spaces, and like feel like I have something to do. Um, and other bars outside of gay bars sometimes have games and things that you can you can play play like trivia or jenga or you know something that's interactive so that there's something beyond just the activity of of drinking um so those those have been some some important things in my life but also i think therapy 
you know, has played a role. It's not something that I've done consistently. Um, but as things arise, as new levels of healing or, um, you know, self, self-discovery self come up that I need to develop some tools and need some guidance with, I'll return to therapy. Medication was a part of my journey, you know, as I mentioned, um, you know, leading up to uh, my sobriety, I was, you know, I had returned to antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. I was abusing the um, the Xanax and and whatever else I was taking, so I had to be put on um, medications that I, I couldn't abuse. Um, but I did that, I think, for you know nearly the first year in my recovery, including trazodone for for sleep. So you know, an antidepressant, anti-anxiety, and sleep medication, and then weaned myself off of that, and I've been medication free since um i'm coming up on 10 years of sobriety this december and um yeah i think it's it's been a really interesting journey because there's obviously reasons to drink and to use yeah every day i mean uh nearly three months ago i got laid off from a job i saw myself continuing to grow with for the next several years and uh you know having to file for unemployment and to re-enter the job market at a time where i'm not you know particularly prepared on paper to to move into um you know a similar position and uh you know there are also things in my life that occur you know bouts of loneliness and you know moments of uh just feeling overwhelmed about the state of uh the world and and kind of society and you know politics and you know um mass shootings and i mean you, you name it there's a number of things to kind of fret over um but i think that practicing a lot of those things that i had previously mentioned to you that have been tools in my toolbox when things are good allows me to kind of naturally have them embedded in my routine when things are bad so that i it's not like uh, I have to shift gears and all of a sudden kind of do something that's foreign. They are habitual practices that show up in my day-to-day life. And I think that that's been um, instrumental in me being able to sustain my sobriety without, you know, participation in, um, you know, some sort of 12-step meeting. Um, And I think that those, again, those communities have a lot of value. It doesn't necessarily in my mind, need to be centered around not drinking or not using. It could be, you know, if you have an interest in knitting, if you have an interest in, you know, uh, recreational sports or hiking or mountain biking, you know, like get together with a group of people that share that common interest. And, you know, those connections can lead to um, sharing, you know, vulnerable sharing, which creates, I think, that support system that, that we need. Um, but it's interesting, I think, in in my recovery, looking back at what the 12 steps are and seeing how each of those steps kind of naturally showed up in, in my journey without me intentionally doing that. So I think regardless of whether or not you're someone who's trying to recover from substance use issue or you're somebody who's trying to recover from uh, trauma or just, you know, being being a human being and getting bumps and bruises through life it's a good template for kind of uh 
you know, looking at yourself and, and trying to um, take some accountability for how you participate in the world. Mm-hmm. For sure. And a kind of springboard off of you being very supportive of other people and, and really, you know, taking the stand to use your experiences to help others. Who is your biggest supporter? Yeah, well, I, I, I think I've had some time to, to think about this and, you know, it may sound, um, you know, it's kind of surprising to me as I comb through people in my life that, that may have, um, played a significant role, but I think the one that is the most profound has been the relationship that I've cultivated with myself, you know, that I had spent a majority of my life not being my biggest supporter. And I think now I have nurtured and and continue to maintain a relationship where, you know, I continue to show up for myself and, you know, I've um, become, become a friend. I mean, I think I had a realization that, uh, you know, the one person that I'm going to be with for the rest of my life is me. So <laughs> everything else, any anyone else is going to come and go. But, you know, I'm kind of the, the mainstay. So I need to make peace with myself. And how can I show up for myself and be a friend and practice self-compassion and, and be flexible and be gentle and be loving with myself and be kind, you know, and it's not not easy to do. But I think that you know, through that, I've been able to um, kind of re- rely on myself and not that I solely rely on myself in every situation, but, you know, it's it's created uh, a foundation from which I can uh, choose the friendships that I have in my life uh, from from a place of, of health, you know, rather than dis- dysfunction and, uh, you know, the core group of friends that I have are unconditional friends. And I think that that's because I've created an unconditional positive regard, you know, towards myself too. So when you have that internally, uh, you know, your external surroundings and relationships start to align with that. So I had to kind of, uh, I guess, get right with myself first before the things around me started to, to transform. And it's not that I have arrived and I have no more work to do, but um, it's definitely been a foundational piece and um, making sure that in any situation, you know, uh, where I might in the past have reverted to old coping skills that I can rely on myself, I can trust myself and rest assured that, you know, I'm not going to abandon myself situations. I'm not going to harm myself in situations um and and that uh i have the resources i need and when and if i don't that it's okay to ask for help and beyond that it's okay to receive help you know i think we all when we go through something we feel a calling to to help others but if we ourselves struggle with accepting help i think it conveys a convoluted message that you know it's okay to be of service to others but it's not okay to be on the receiving end of that and i think um, you know, I'm trying to to practice both. Very good, very good. So if uh, you could give one piece of advice to a newly sober person, what would that advice be? I would say um, take it take it slow. you know, I think uh, for 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 me and and possibly for for many others, it starts with the little kind of moment to moment 
thoughts and choices, the little micro choices that you make throughout your day. Um, at least that was true for me. And I think that the accumulation of those incremental changes, different thoughts, different choices, uh, kind of reprograms your, your brain and creates, you know, a new reality for you. And, and so it's, you know, there is truth to what they say in, you know, some of the um, recovery communities about, you know, you're not just changing one thing, you're changing your whole life. And that, I think, is overwhelming for a lot of people to wrap their heads around. Um, and there is truth to that, but it doesn't happen all at once. You know, it's kind of uh, you tweak this little thing over here, and then that is connected to this other thing, which then changes, and you kind of continue to go around in a circle as, as you, you tweak things. And, and I guess the, the other thing that I would say, too, is, um, you know, you don't have to do it by yourself. It doesn't have to look like what you've seen or what you think someone else has done because often you know what we are viewing um is skewed is skewed by what others want us to see it's skewed by our own lenses and our own internal lenses so you know, i'd say stay curious stay true to yourself um you know find find what works for you don't don't give up i think you know if i gave up uh uh, at my first, second, third, fourth, fifth attempt to to kind of you know um, create some transformation in my life, I I I might not be here today. So you know I think you have to give yourself some some grace. You know sometimes uh, sometimes you return to to something that you tried before that didn't work then, but now you know the conditions are different and the timing maybe right. So um, keep at it. I think stay, stay connected to, to what drives you, um, you know, whether it's your, your goals or ambitions in life, your, your loved ones, um, you know, those can be real catalysts for, for change. But I think ultimately what it comes down to is wanting, wanting to have a, a healthier relationship with yourself you know i think like there's a lot of external work that has to happen but ultimately it's an inside job and and i think that can be a scary thing you know to to kind of go within but um you know for those of us that have had careers in substance use um uh, you know using active use um we've spent tireless uh tireless amounts of time and energy trying to avoid ourselves and to avoid you know what we're carrying within and the the only way out i think is is through and it doesn't have to be done all at once and you can take someone you trust into that space with you whether it's a therapist or you know a friend who's shown you that they're that they're there for you um and and don't be afraid of the stigmas around um, medication assisted treatment you know, I think for those that are using, um, you know, more dangerous substances, potentially, uh, it can be a real tool to kind of get some, get some sobriety time, get some other coping skills and some other supports in place. Um, so I, I know that, yeah, that can, there can be some stigma 
around that. I think you got to do what works for you at the end of the day. And it's not about what other people think. Very true. So if you could give one piece of advice to someone who has a loved one currently in active addiction, what would it be? I think the biggest thing is trying to untangle yourself from the other person's use. You know, I think we all want to fix. We all have an inclination to fix or resolve someone else's problem. One, because we care about them, but two, because it causes discomfort and uncertainty in our own lives. And that kind of relationship is, you know, what we know as codependency. And so, you know, in, in a situation where you have a loved one who's in active use, I think it's really it's equally important that we look at ourselves and how we are contributing to that cycle. You know, we could spend our lives entangled in someone else's use, having sleepless nights, uh, constant worry, feeling like we have some sort of control over what the other person is doing. And ultimately, we don't. We have control over ourselves. We have control over our choices and our responses to things. So I think, you know, practicing self-care looking at ourselves, working with someone if necessary to create healthier boundaries, mm -hmm. um, which can feel selfish and can feel like you're maybe abandoning the person who's still struggling with substance use. But, you know, there's the cliche about putting on your own oxygen mask first. I think it's really critical um, that people who are in that situation do that and you can do it in a loving and a kind way. But it's important to, um, you know, make sure that if you're someone who is struggling with that, that you have the support and resources you need to care for yourself, because it can be really destabilizing um, to to be entangled with and enmeshed with someone who's struggling with substance use, and you could be feeding into that cycle mm. of use, and not even know it. So, you know, I think that it's a it's a systemic thing, you know, it's not just the individual who's struggling with the substance use, but it's everyone else who's involved in that person's life plays some sort of role in that. And I think each of them needs to be involved in the recovering process because they too um, are sick in, in some ways and not in a, you know, judgy way, but, you know, there's, there's something, um, some healing, some support that they need to, uh, be able to be okay, regardless of what the outcome is with the person who has a substance use disorder. I've worked with individuals who's, uh, I think the first time I was exposed to this, I was really kind of taken taken off guard by it. But um, there's a young woman who was working with in a uh, residential treatment, and she had been through many other residential uh, experiences before and um, you know struggling with back pain and uh, using opiates and you know she was in the program for a period and her mother felt you know good about that she came out she went into um, back back into use she ended up returning to to opiates and um, you know folks that have lost their kind of threshold and they return to the same amount it can be lethal yeah um, and she ended up she ended up dying mm -hmm. and the mother had reached back out to to the program you know and expressed her gratitude um for the time you know that we were able to work with her, her daughter and express that you know she felt a sense of relief 
you know, and I was taken, taken by surprise by that, but I understand what she meant that she no yeah. longer had to kind of worry about when she was going to get that call or when the worst case scenario was going to happen, you know, yeah. because it had arrived and that she was kind of liberated or freed from that fear and that constant worry. And I think, you know, for those who love someone and care for someone who's struggling with substance use, that's, that's the reality. And so how can you free yourself from that constant worry and stress and still love and support that individual? And that's something, you know, sometimes it takes some professional work and some support from other people who have been through it. So that would be my advice. So I run an organization here in Boston called Sober Gay Sunday, and it's an activity group for sober members of the LGBTQ community. So we do stuff like we're doing a ninja, um, American Ninja Warrior outing next month. We just did yoga. We've done axe throwing. We've done paint night. We've done all these things. So um, what is one dream activity that you would want for Sober Gay Sunday? Like if you could pick anything to do, what would it be? Hmm. I think... uh... I love the idea of like a, a dance dance party that doesn't involve drinking and, and drugs, um, you know, and something, you know, that like similar to uh, in, in P-Town, how they have a tea dance. It's something that kind of happens earlier uh, in the in the afternoon or, or evening. Um, I think dancing is is really um, an important part of who we are as human beings, something that releases a lot of energy, something that connects us to to our body. And I think for for gay men in particular, uh, you know, dancing has has been a way to kind of celebrate our our community. And, you know, for those that that don't drink and don't use drugs uh, can sometimes feel like you're an outsider to that. So that would be kind of, that that would be my ideal kind of gay sober experience would be, you know, something where everyone's having a good time and they're dancing and there's music and there's uh, a sense of community, but uh, there's not all the drugs and alcohol. That's a great idea. I actually just wrote it down. I was like, I could probably, you know, plan something like that not too not too much of a challenge here in boston so that's i think the best one of the best <laughs> i've gotten so far so oh, now that we're wrapping up uh where do where can people find you on social media uh so i'm i've kind of removed myself from from social media um aside from instagram i have an instagram account called a uh, little bit Corey, which just kind of shows little bits and pieces from my life um I, I don't really prom- promote myself in, in any sort of package way anymore, but I did leave up uh, some of the sites that I, I use to house some of the photojournalism work I did with Hearts of Strangers. So um, the book series that I, I mentioned is called Every Heart Has a Story to Tell. It's available on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. There are three volumes to the book series. It's a compilation of uh, people's experiences um, from the interviews that I've done with them uh, across the country and their their photos. Um, so not not my own story, but other people, little windows into into their lives. Um, Hearts of Strangers, the kind of platform that was the catalyst for the book series. Um, there are two social media outlets that still house that archive. So one of them is YouTube. You can go to Hearts of Strangers on, on YouTube and there's some um, filmed videos 
that can be watched that could be really beneficial for anyone um, who you know is working towards recovery from from anything really um, and then hearts of strangers on tumblr is the entire archive mm-hmm. of uh, interviews and photos and some other um, miscellaneous media connected to the project so i left those those intact um yeah and and that's that's about it i'm, I'm not on facebook anymore uh, but, but who knows, you know, that seems to be a vehicle for, for people to promote whatever they're doing, but I'm taking a little break from, from, uh, you know, being of service and in, in a greater capacity so that I can, uh, focus on my degree in social work and, you know, get back into the arena of, of being of service in, in a, in a different way. Awesome. I love that. And I, uh, I'll make sure to include all that stuff in the show notes so people can find all those great projects you worked on and what you're working with. So um, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. It's been really great to have you. So um, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the Sober Gay Sunday podcast. Please feel free to like, subscribe, share, and comment. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Sober Gay Sunday. You can also email me directly at SoberGaySunday at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, stay sober, guys. I'm so sick of small talk, and tell me something, you're dropping in me on my head, your biggest mistake.